Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. We're so glad that you found us online and wanted to let you know that at Heights, it's our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places that you might visit on a regular basis. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us with a podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page as well. If you're finding us for the first time, make sure that you let us know you were here by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out the digital connect card. We're so glad that you found us. You know, when you come into Acts 11, something is miraculously taking place in the early church. And I want you to think about churches with me for a moment, uh, because churches sometimes can operate uh, like a lake. And these lake-type churches will only focus on themselves getting bigger and bigger. And so we're going to get bigger in attendance. We're going to get bigger in our buildings. We're going to get bigger in our budget. So a lake-type church is just going to focus on itself and kind of just pool its resources within itself and only hold on to those. What I would say in the book of Acts, what you see happening within the church is a church that's focusing more like a river. See, a river-type church is going to be a church where people are reached, discipled, and then sent. So a river-type church is sending out resources. The blessings of God is flowing out. The people of God are flowing out. The resources of God are flowing out into new areas so that more people may come to hear about Jesus, come to faith in Christ, and worship the God that has made them. And what's happening in the book of Acts is a major shift in the story. In chapters 1 through 6, the church was really growing by addition. All right? it, it, it began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The apostles are the ones that are doing mainly the work. They're the ones mainly doing the preaching, the teaching, the discipleships. So in Acts chapters 1 through 6, the church is growing by addition. Then something happens in chapter 7 that Paul referenced in verse 19. He references a persecution has broken out. See, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He was a newly appointed deacon who began preaching, and he's murdered for his faith. But what happens is now persecution has scattered the Christians out of Jerusalem. And we looked at this in Acts chapter 8 last week, where it's going into Judea and Samaria and to other parts of now the Roman Empire. And now the church is growing by multiplication not addition. And the reason it's growing by multiplication is because now it's not just the apostles doing the preaching and the teaching and the evangelism and the discipleship. Now it's those Christians who have been scattered from Jerusalem. Now they're beginning to tell other people about Jesus and the gospel is multiplying out. See, the church in Jerusalem became like a river where the resources of God, the blessings of God, the people of God, began to flow out in new churches and the gospel started breaking ground in new areas. So when you come
come into Acts 11, you see the church now in Antioch. And Antioch's a major, major player in the Roman Empire. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. Antioch has about 500,000 people of this time in this city. So it's a major city and it's also full of idols. It is ripe for the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what you see here, the church of Antioch, becomes a multiplying church. And I want you to notice, what was so unique about this church in Antioch? Well, first, let me point you this way. They had purposeful evangelism, okay? Their evangelism was very, very purposeful and intentional. I want you to pick back in the text with me. It says, verse 19, they're scattered because of the persecution, Right? And they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. So Phoenicia is going to be modern-day Lebanon. Cyprus is, a, is an island off the coast of southern Turkey in Antioch. And Antioch's kind of southern Turkey. So just kind of orient, you know, giving some orientation of where we are in the world here. And notice that they are coming into this area, verse 19, and they're speaking the word. So they're speaking the gospel to no one except Jews. All right, so let's stop right there. What's happening? Well, first, you have Jews who have been ran out of Jerusalem, who they're coming into a new area, and they're speaking to Jews, right? So they're, they're finding people that are like them, right? So if you move into a new town, sometimes you do that. You're going to find people who are like you, who maybe look like you, talk like you. So if, if you moved up to Arlington today and you're an Astros fan, you're going to find more Astros fans, right? I mean, this is just naturally what we do. We find like-minded people sometimes in new places. And so these Jews are coming into this new area, and they're finding other Jews who have the same customs, look like them, talk like them, speak the same language to them. So I want you to know there, there's nothing racist going on here. There's nothing mean going on here. They're sharing the gospel with a lot of people like them. But then you have something amazing happen in verse 20. That at just kind of a first reading, we read over it and go, oh man, okay, cool. But it's a major turning point in the book of Acts and evangelism in the New Testament church. And so you have some guys that I'm going to call evangelism mavericks because they're breaking ground and doing something totally radically different. Notice verse 20. So you've got some people coming in uh, that are sharing the gospel with Jews. But verse 20, there's some of these men from Cyprus, so that island just off the, the, the coast of southern Turkey, in Cyrene. And so Cyrene's going to be northern Africa. So they're coming into Antioch, and they speak to the Hellenist, or your translation may say Gentiles or Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now here's why that's awesome. Because this is the first time in the New Testament church that the gospel is purposely and intentionally going to the Gentiles. Right? Now you might go, wait a minute, Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 in his house and he was a Gentile. Yes, he did. But that was an apostle preaching to other people. This is now just followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, people of the way that are moving into a new area and multiplying out the gospel by finding people that are non-Jews and taking the gospel to them. 
So right here in the New Testament early church, the first time that people of Gentiles, Greek-speaking people, are intentionally getting the gospel brought to them. And so it's these evangelism mavericks, if you will, that's breaking ground, doing something totally new with a new group of people. And notice what it says in verse 20. It says they're preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And it's very, very key. They're not presenting Jesus as Messiah, as Jews would do to Jews. They're preaching and saying he's the Lord. He's God. He's the one in control. And this is radical for the Romans because Greek speaking and the Greek people and the Romans are saying, well, wait a minute. The only true Lord, the only true God is Caesar. And you worship Caesar. No, the gospel is you don't worship Caesar. You don't worship any other God but Jesus. And he's the Lord. And so when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you come to him as Savior, you're coming to him as Lord. Right? There is no coming to Jesus as the Savior of your life without Jesus being the Lord of your life. Right? Sometimes people say that. Well, I just want Jesus to save me of my sin, but I want him to be the Lord of my life. I still want to be in control. It doesn't work that way. It didn't happen that way. He is Lord and Savior. And that's the way you come to him. You come to him and say, Jesus, I've made a mess. Right? And that mess is me. And that mess is my life. And I have sinned against God. And I have no way of heaven. I have no hope of eternity without you. And I need you in my life to clean up all my mess. Because I've been a pretty bad boss of my life up to this point, And I need a better one. Think about it this way. If you uh, make a mortgage payment to your, uh, for your home, um, you can say you own your home all day long. But if you are paying the bank the mortgage payment, guess who technically owns your home? The bank, right? They hold the title deed to your home. I mean, you can, you can walk around your home all you want and go, this is my house, and I'm paying for it, and I'm going to do all that I want to do to my house. Okay, what's going to happen if you stop making the payments? The bank who owns the home, who you're paying it off to the bank, is going to take your home, Right? And you can argue with them and go, no, that's my home, and I've been here for 20 years, and they're going to open up a drawer, pull out a piece of paper, and go, no, 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 we hold the title. Now, if you're in that blessed situation in life where you've paid the bank off and you own the title of your home, guess what? Flaunt it all you want. It's your house, right? You don't own money to anybody. You literally have the title to your house. It is your house. Let me ask you this way. Who has the title deed of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? Coming to Jesus Christ means, Jesus, I'm giving you my title deed. You're in control. You're the Lord. You're the boss. You're the one over me. I'm following you because you're a way better boss and Lord of my life than I am. And so who has that title deed this morning? And maybe for some of you today, you need to do a title transfer. And you, at the end of the service, you need to give Jesus Christ the title deed of your life and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior, and I know that means I need to follow you as my Lord. See, th this church is like a river. Man, I mean, the people of God the blessings of God, the gospel of God, the resources of God, it's just flowing through them. 
They're doing purposeful evangelism. But I want you to notice also what they're doing. They're doing directed discipleship. Okay, so their evangelism is very intentional, very purposeful, but notice they have directed discipleship. All right, pick up in verse 23. I I love this verse. It says, um, excuse me, verse 22. It says, when the report of everything happening in Antioch came to the church of Jerusalem, they send Barnabas down, right? So man, they're like, hey, we've been getting text messages and phone calls and emails. (laughs) Social media and Facebook posts are just blowing up what's happening in the city of Antioch. Like people are coming to know Jesus left and right. Jews, Gentiles are starting to worship together. Like places abuzz that revival and spiritual awakening is happening in Antioch. So the church in Jerusalem, what they'll do often in the book of Acts is they'll send a representative. Hey, go down there and check it out. Go see if it's legit. Go see if it really is the Lord working. Go go see what's happening. So they send Barnabas down, and Barnabas in verse 23 starts discipling them. All right, now I want you to notice this discipleship of of Barnabas. It's very directed. Look at it. There's three parts to it. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, number one, he was glad. Number two, he exhorted them, so he taught them to remain faithful. Number three, he encouraged them to be steadfast. Notice that three parts of of discipleship. Number one, he gathers with them and he's glad. He rejoices with them, celebrates with them, worships with them. He's like, man, look at all the good stuff God's doing in your lives and in this church. Hey, let's be excited about that. Newsflash, Christians, we can be excited about what God's doing in our lives and our churches, right? That's okay. It, it does not have to be you come out of life group, you come in here, you walk around all day long of your Christian life looking like you sucked on a lemon, all right? <laughs> Doesn't have to be that way. Now, if you're Rangers fans, you're a little sad. It's okay. You got a chance of redemption today, right? But some of you the other night, when Altuve hit that three-run homer in the ninth inning, You were like me in my living room, shouting at the top of my lungs, hooray, Jose, right? And it's okay to be excited about those things, and it's even more okay to be be excited about the things of God, amen? So you don't have to be the grumpy one all the time. You can change that. You don't have to be the critical Christian all the time. That doesn't have to be you. You can look at what God's doing in your life and around you and say, praise the Lord, you're moving. May not understand always how you're doing it, but you're doing it. And God, thank you that I get to be a part of that. Man, he rejoiced with them. Do you notice also the second part of that discipleship? He taught them scriptures. He taught them the word of God. And then the third part of it was he encouraged them to remain faithful. This is a church and a time of persecution. This is not a public Christianity time like we get to go public. This is pretty much underground church in a lot of ways. This is something that is costing these people to do in worshiping Christ. And Barnabas is saying, it's gonna be hard. It will be tough, keep going. Because when the going gets tough, the disciple of Jesus keeps going. Keep going. In your life right now, it may be hard, gut 
wrenching hard. Keep going. Why? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, this is as closest to hell as we ever get. Amen? This is as close to hell as we ever get in our lives. So keep going. Keep staying faithful. The end reward of that faithfulness is far greater than the moment of suffering that you might be in today. And for some of you, you are so stuck in suffering because you are so stuck in asking God questions of why. Why this? Why that? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? What is the answer that God is going to give you to that why question to help you get unstuck? Let me say this. There's no answer. Because you know what we've done? We've let Satan off the hook way too much for the evil that happens around us and in our lives, and we put it back on God. We let him off the hook. You want to know about the God that I serve? This God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into this world to overcome evil and pain and suffering. And when Jesus comes back again, he settles all accounts. Amen? And so I may not know why it all happens, but I know the one who has come into my life when I was once blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was hell bound, but now I'm heaven bound. And even though suffering is going to happen and there's going to be hard days and hard moments and hard years and hard seasons, you and I can stay faithful because the one who has begun a good work in us will complete it when the time is finished. So Barnabas, man, this discipleship is directed. He's rejoicing with them. He's teaching them the scriptures. He's encouraging them to remain faithful. There's purposeful evangelism for the first time. The gospel is intentionally going to the Gentiles. But I want you to notice something else very, very unique about the church of Antioch. Number three, they multiply their leaders. They multiply their leaders. Let's turn over to chapter 13. In chapter 13... We pick back up after just a quick break in chapter 12, away from the church of Antioch, back to the church of Antioch. And I want you to notice in, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, Luke lists out the leaders in the church of Antioch, but then notice in verses 2 and 3 what's happening. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now understand this, when you have purposeful evangelism and you have directed discipleship, when you are reaching people for Christ and discipling them, what's going to happen in a church is new leaders are going to emerge. You're building up and you're making new disciples and new leaders. Now, a, type, a church that's like a type of a lake, a lake-type church, all they're going to do is pull those leaders. They're going to say, okay, well, let's just continue to get bigger and bigger here in what we're doing. A river-type church, like the church of Antioch, is going to share the gospel. They're going to disciple people. As those leaders start emerging, they're now going to send them out. They're going to multiply themselves in new areas that need the gospel so new people can come to faith in Christ. All right, so what you see is they're sending out Paul and Barnabas. Let that marinate for a minute. Because you're not going to find a better preacher and writer than Paul. 
You're not going to find a better encourager and disciple maker than Barnabas. And so you got a Paul and a Barnabas in the church of Antioch, a new church, a growing church. And they're like, Paul and Barnabas, we're sending you out. And we're sending you out for new work. We're going to let the blessings of God and the people of God and the purposes of God flow out of here so that you now can go out and you can take the gospel in new areas to new people that need to hear Jesus. And so from here, Paul travels 7,000 miles in his journey in his lifetime, and he plants 14 new churches. Just stop and think about that. Right from the church of Antioch, who decided we're going to be like a river where the people of God and the blessings of God and the purposes of God and the gospel is going to flow out of this, they send out their best preacher in-house, and he goes out and starts 14 new churches. Praise God for that. So that's a big, bold step of faith for them, that they're, they're taking it and, and sending out Barnabas and Paul. You know, in our church, we have six different initiatives that we're praying over the next seven years. The Lord will continue to bless and work us toward so we can see more and more people worship the Lord. One of those initiatives is to plant four new churches in the next seven years. It's a, it's a big one of our just big, bold steps of faith that we're praying the Lord will lead us to, uh, that we can help more and more people come to know this God in whom we worship. And so what that's going to take is steps of faith from us to be a church that's like a river where the gospel is multiplying out. And so a couple of months ago, I encourage you to pray. And I encourage you to pray for a couple that's within our church that feels that call uh, to be sent out to help start a new church in a, in a part of Alvin where there's new growth so that new people may come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and we've been praying as a church for that. They've been in kind of the North American Mission Board assessment process. And so we needed to kind of let some of those things clear before we told you their name and celebrate that decision. So this morning, I, I just want to publicly say that name of those people so we can celebrate. So Carrie and Danielle Perrin this morning feel that call that the Lord has put on their life to help start a new church on the south side of Alvin late next year, early 2025, directed purposely at new growth so that new people may hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's celebrate that. I was going to make y'all stand, but people know who you are. How about just stand real quick in case people don't know who you are. So this is Carrie and Danielle. And man, I, I'm so proud of them. It's such a step of faith, even to just take where they are and even just to take that first step. And so when I, when I tell you that, that uh, hopefully late 2024, early 2025, we're going to be sending them out with, with people to start a new church. We're directing it toward the south side of Alvin. You, you guys have been growing, seeing around town homes being built, growth happening. So we're strategically uh, looking at those new areas of growth for new churches so new people come, come to know Christ. I know you're like me. When I say those things out loud, you're already asking a bunch of how questions in your mind. I know you guys. 
And you're already thinking, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to support this? How is this going to look? And so let me just say this this morning. When we end our service, before you go to the person that you like to go to to ask all your questions or text or call later today, um, we don't have all the how questions answered. Okay? So you're going to text some people. You're going to call some people. like, how are we going to pay for this? How is this going to work? How is this going to work? I'm, I'm just going to go straight up and tell you they don't know the answers either. Okay? because we're not to the how stage of everything. See, I, I want you to focus this morning on the why. Why do this? Why take the risk to be more like a church that's a river than a lake? Because understand in this process, there's kind of three different phases that we'll be moving through in, in this multiplying and starting new churches. There's an exploration phase. All right, and so Carrie and Danielle, and, and where we are, we're in this exploration phase. We're starting to answer those how questions as they come up. We're starting to say, okay, how are we going to pay for it? Where is it going to be? When is it going to be? All right, so we got to get all those answers together. So that's an exploration phase. Then we're going to move into a formation phase. So that exploration phase, it's going to take time. It's going to take the better part of next year to get through that. Then we're going to enter into a formation phase. And a formation preparation phase is this. They're going to start building up more leaders and more people to go with them. So we're already praying about that. And honestly, I'm praying at least 30 people from our church or more will go out with Carrie and Danielle late next year and help start a new church on the south side of Alvin. Right? And so they're going to have to have support. They're going to have to have people. They can't do it alone. All right, so we'll enter into this preparation stage. Then the final stage is the sending and supporting stage. And so we're going to get you through all three of those stages. But this morning, really where we are is not a how question. It's a why. Why do this? Well, first and foremost, let's remember the history of where you're sitting right now. In October 1956, there was a core group of people who left First Baptist Alvin, who moved out onto this property and said, we want a new church right here. There's a core group of people who left First Baptist Alvin. They left their Sunday school classes. They left the church in which they loved. They left those worship services, and they started a new church right here. 58 years of gospel ministry right here on this property, and you are all this morning experiencing the fruits of those first frontier people coming out here. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed that 58 years ago, there were people who came out here and said, let's start a new work because we want to reach new people with the gospel. In over 58 years, we've been able to minister to thousands and thousands of people and untold numbers of people all around the world because a core group of people 58 years ago said, let's go multiply and be like a river, letting the gospel flow through us. But understand this too, we want to start a new church south side of Alvin because our area is growing. Our current population is about 27,000 people. Over the next five years, the city of Alvin is projected to grow by more than 7%. That's more than 5,000 people moving into our area in Alvin alone over the next five years. Just stop and think about it. That's a lot of people. And before you start going, wait a minute, we got enough churches we can estimate that there are about 40 churches in Alvin. Now, 40 churches cross-denominationally, cross-theological beliefs. Not all churches believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of their lives. How do 40 churches reach 32,000 people? 
That would essentially be this, every church in Alvin, in order to reach all the people coming in and in our area would have to be a mega church over 2,000 people. Every one of us. So we see, even in our own backyard, there is a need for new churches to reach new people with the gospel. But understand this. Why we want to do this is this. We want to make more disciples of Jesus. That's what it's about. The reason we share the gospel, the reason we start churches, the reason we multiply ourselves out is not all people worship Jesus. See, it's a discipleship issue. When you evangelize and you share the gospel with that loved one and that friend, you're helping them worship the God who has created them because without Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of their lives, they can't worship the God who's created them. And so the first and primary reason we make disciples and plant churches and multiply is because we want people worshiping the one true God. Amen? Amen. The second reason is this. Without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're hell-bound. And we don't want them to be in hell for all of eternity. We literally should want it to make it to be hard to go to hell from Alvin, Texas. That's what we want. And so when we start new churches and we're taking this initiative, we want to see people worshiping the God who has created them. That means this, we've got to multiply ourselves in our evangelism. We have to multiply ourselves in our discipleship, starting new life groups, continuing to build one-on-one discipleships. This means this, we've got to raise up leaders and send them out. So let me ask you, how are you going to be a part of that? Let me ask you a couple of rapid fire questions here. Will you, number one, be willing to help start new life groups? Will you maybe be one who's teaching or leading a new group? Maybe for some of you this morning, it's coming in saying, can I leave? Will I leave the comfort of my own group that I've been in for years to make room for more people? Secondly, will you be willing to go and help start a new church? Will you be willing to do that? When that time comes, and that time's going to be coming, can you already begin praying, Lord, if it is me, to help go with Carrie and Danielle, to help start a church on the south side of town. Lord, I will go. I will leave the comfort of my own church. I'll leave the comfort of my groups, and I will build new relationships in a new church for people come to know Christ. Let me ask you this multiplying question. Will you give financially? So you understand this. Everything we do at Heights Baptist Church is not free. It's not free. Ministry takes money. And the more we go and the more we do, we have to be good givers. Our buildings need repair. Light bills have to be paid. Property insurance has to be paid. Praise the Lord for air conditioning on this nice, cool, 90-degree fall day, right? These things take resources. And we are 100% member-supported at Heights. That means the resources flow through you. And so first and foremost, I want to say for those of you that give sacrificially, you give regularly, you give generously, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your ongoing giving because all of this is possible because of your giving. Secondly, let me encourage you, if you are not giving, become a giver. If you are not giving, learn to give sacrificially, financially, and regularly. Why? Because you are missing not only the blessings of God in your life from giving, but you are missing being a blessing to someone else. When you give, God is flowing through that gift so more people can come to know the God who has made them. 
And so you can, at the end of our service, you place your offerings each week in these gray boxes around the room. You can give online at heightschurch.org slash give. You can mail it in. You can drop it in at the office. You can attach it to a carrier pigeon for all I care, okay? However, whatever form you need to give in, bars of gold, title deeds of homes, cash, card, we're good, all right? But just pray in your heart. If I'm not giving, why? And how can I be part of moving God's gospel forward through my financial gifts? And if you are giving, I pray you just continue to keep giving and thank you so much for your giving. Finally, will you be willing to invite friends, multiply the gospel through invitations, inviting them to church, church, sharing the gospel with them personally? Because we need to understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into this world so we can be saved. God now sends us, his church, out so that more people can hear about this one and true God, Jesus, so they can be saved. Will you this morning be more of a church that's like a river where the blessings of God, the people of God, the resources of God are flowing out of it so people can know the one true God who has made them. I invite you to stand with me. You know, the Bible calls us just to pray in our own words, in our own way. And so maybe you've never really prayed or you say, I'm ready to place my faith in Christ, but I don't know what to say. Then I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that you can follow along with me right where you are. And it's God that knows your heart. And so you can simply just bow in prayer and say, dear God, today I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. You know, if you've prayed that prayer today, first and foremost, we are proud of you. We're excited that you're taking that step of faith, and we'd love to connect with you, follow up with you, and, and just cheer you on in your journey now with Christ. And so you can connect with us by going to heightschurch.org connect. Click the decision tab. That's going to bring up a form for you to fill out. That's going to come right to me. And we're going to be in touch with you to see how we can come alongside of you and encourage you. If you're in our area, we'd love to connect with you in person on a Sunday morning. Our life groups are at 9 a.m. and our worship service starts at 1030 a.m. So we hope to see you soon and we hope you have a great week. God bless.